Welcome to Vineyard Hopkinton. As we follow Jesus together, we experience the Holy Spirit, create a multicultural community, and pursue kingdom of God justice. Because if he's done those things, then he's one. He's not usually quite as overt as we might think. There's a, a book by a guy named Craig Rochelle uh, called Winning the War in Your Mind. Uh, shameless product placement that I get no money for. Uh, if you want a good book on this, check this out. Winning the War in Your Mind. And he wrote that there are two truths that we need to know. The battle for your life is won or lost in your mind. And two, your thoughts will control you, so you have to control your thoughts. The problem is that many Christians don't wage war at all. Satan's assaulting us with evil. He's delivering blows of deception and bombarding us with lies. But we can be oblivious to the attacks. He said that for him, the bottom line, that I knew that if I ignored the battle any longer, that I'd lose it. Satan is attacking us. Are we paying attention? Are we aware of what's going on? I'm going to say this a few times today because I want it to sink in to actually become something that we allow ourselves to believe that there is an enemy, that he wants to distract you, and he won't give up. But we know how he works. And Jesus has already won. So the question is simply, are you willing to fight? Are you willing to fight? We know how he works. Last week, Sarah talked a lot about this uh, in this series that we're on called Travel Lighter. And she talked about the battle that's going on with, from the enemy, from ourselves, uh, from the world. And uh, so I want to encourage you, if you missed it, go listen to it. It was good. Check it out. I'm not going to repeat what she said. Uh, today, what I want to focus on is one of what I think are one of the main ways that the enemy attacks us, distracts us in our time. And that's something that I think he's actually pretty good at. Because I think in many people's lives, he's actually winning. And that's anxiety. I want to talk about the distraction tool of anxiety. You know, there, if you look in the dictionary for words like anxiety, you come up with like 45 different answers. And you're like, this is the longest definition I've ever been given. Uh, and so I was looking at that. Uh, and I noticed that there was a medical uh, definition that was actually more helpful than all the other ones. And so I want to read it. It said that anxiety is an abnormal and overwhelming sense of apprehension and fear, often marked by... Physical signs, such as tension, sweating, and increased pulse rate, by doubt concerning the reality and nature of the threat, and by self-doubt about one's capacity to cope. So anxiety is often an overwhelming sense of apprehension and fear, and you feel it in your body, and you know it in your mind by the doubt that creeps in, by the self-doubt that creeps in. It can be both a state, which means that it's temporary, it's based on events that are going on around you, or it can be uh, a, a trait, which means that it's more a part of uh, your, your makeup, more a part of who you are. And I do just want to say that for some folks, medication is the way to go with this. So nothing I'm saying this morning is anti-medication. If you need medication to deal with it, then take what's necessary for you. But I think above and beyond that, 
there is victory that Jesus wants to bring us. He wants to bring freedom for our lives. The question is, like I've said, are we willing to fight with him? You know, anxiety is just like, it's kind of uh, the perfect distraction tool. It's like a scatter bomb that gets tossed into a house and it blows everything up and everything's in the air and you're looking around and you're incapable of focusing and you're, you're kind of unable to move ahead. You're, you're afraid of the present and you can't even bear to look at the future. Your body starts to do all sorts of funny things that start to affect you. Uh, you're tired. You're not sleeping well. All of this adds up to mean that your relationships are also then all blown up because we know how great and kind and loving we are when we're tired in pain and our minds are a wreck, right? So you're irritable, cranky, and your relationships are a little bit crazy. Uh, and it just leaves us like frozen and unable to move beyond that spot. As I say that, remember, there is an enemy. He wants to distract you, but it doesn't have to win you can fight. You know, there are a lot of things that can cause anxiety. If I was to go around, I'm sure we could come up with a hundred things that have caused all of us anxiety in this week. We could get very specific with what it is that's going on in our lives that have brought this up. Uh, I want to look at it just from a big picture perspective, though, for a second. You know, a few things that can cause anxiety, you know, a hypersensitivity to uncertainty about the future, can be a fear of dealing with mistakes that you've made and not just making mistakes, but how you're going to fix it and what the repercussions are going to be. It can be the imagined responses of people that you respect or look up to, which can lead to feelings of incompetence and an expectation that you're going to disappoint other people, like having your, your dad or your mom's, my, you know, speaking in, in, in your head basically and saying like, oh, that's not the way that I would have done it. That's not the thing that I would have done. You know what I'm talking about. Their re imagined response or how you pictured that like your boss would react to a situation versus how you're dealing with it. It could be people violating things that you value. And then the, the fear of what's going to happen if they do it again. That coworker keeps doing the same thing to me over and over and over again. And so it's not just the pain of what they did, but it's then the like frozen feeling that you get of like, if I say anything, I know what's going to happen. And it just takes ownership of us. It can be doubt in our own ability to do something, to provide, to be a good parent, to be a good spouse, to do our jobs. And you may be sitting here and you're like, yep, I know those three things. Those, those are my things. And they look like a mountain. They look like this thing that you can't climb over. Just too big, too tall, too much. And I want to just acknowledge, like, here in this space, as we're saying this, a couple of things that I think are really helpful to know. One is that you're not alone if you're struggling with this. Stats say that one in three American adults are diagnosed with an anxiety disorder. One in three. I would say probably 50 to 60% of Americans in our time struggle with anxiety and aren't diagnosed. This is the majority of people that are going through these things. Struggling with anxiety isn't something to be ashamed of. It's something to fight for, to fight through. 
in another great book because I want you to have tools, not just my words. So this book, Managing Leadership Anxiety uh, by Steve Cuss, he says that anxiety blocks our awareness of God. It shrinks the power of the gospel because it presents a false gospel, one of self-reliance rather than reliance on God. Anxiety blocks our awareness of God. Stops us from being able to see him. Sounds familiar, right? There is an enemy. He wants to distract you, but he doesn't have to win. You can fight, and you're not fighting alone. Jesus promised us. He gave us answers to this. He said that his plan is for our lives to be filled with peace and contentment, especially in hard times. He said, your heavenly father already knows all your needs. So seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything that you need. He already knows. He's prepared. He's ready to come and meet you in the middle of it. That's a pretty good promise. We're not alone in this. So the question this morning is, do you want freedom? Do you want to be able to travel lighter to play on the sermon series title? Well, I think Jesus wants to bring us freedom. And the good news is that Jesus's job is transformation. That's not your job. Your job's not to make yourself into a whole different person that has their head on and could could deal with everything. That's Jesus's job. Your job is just to simply fight and to fight with him. So let's pray, and then we're going to jump into Philippians. Jesus, I just invite you to come and to fill this space. I pray uh, just for you to bring your peace in the midst of the things that are are kind of coming against us that we feel... uh, you know, speaking into our minds that are kind of pushing their way in constantly. Pray for any of us who are struggling with that this morning for you to come and to bring peace. Jesus, I thank you that your word has tools, that it has answers, that you've actually provided for things that affect us day in and day out. And so I pray that you'll help us to be aware of how it is that you're leading us in your gentle, kind manner. Bring an awareness of your love, of your presence this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, if you have a Bible, open it up to Philippians 4, verse 4 through 9. Here's what it says. Always be full of joy in the Lord. And I say it again, rejoice. Let everyone see that you are considerate in all you do. Remember the Lord is coming soon. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all that he has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything that we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. 
Keep putting into practice all that you learned and received from me, everything you heard from me and saw me doing. Then the God of peace will be with you. There's a lot of stuff in here that helps us. A lot of stuff. But remember, you're already tired of me saying it? Good. That means that it's sinking in a little bit. There is an enemy. He wants to distract you. Your thoughts can control you if you're not trying to control your thoughts and you're not fighting alone, but you do need to learn how to fight. How are we supposed to fight? That's what I think these verses tell us really, really well. Because this passage is very clear that we can have freedom from anxiety if we're actively working to control our thoughts. Not because we're awesome, although maybe some of us are. You know, you need that this morning. You're pretty awesome, guys. Uh, But not because we're awesome, but because God is. And he's moving and he works in our lives. But what's, what I, I do want to just say this, because sometimes I think we go down this path and we start to like think that we're going to get a bunch of magic words. Have you ever like fallen for the magic words, Christianity, where you're like, if I just say these verses enough times, then I will become spiritual and everything will be broken off of me. Paul's not giving us magic words here. He's not telling us the right thing that we need to say in the right moment so that, boosh, all of a sudden everything is better. That's not what's going on here. Uh, You know, picture this. And maybe this is something that I've done at some point in my life. You know, I was going to actually lay down, but I thought, you know, you can't see me and it just might be a little too weird. So, But picture, you know, you're laying down and you're getting ready to go to sleep. And all of a sudden, your thoughts flare up. And they go crazy because you're not distracted for the first time in 24 hours. And so you're, you're laying there and you're like, oh, wait, I should, I should quote those, those verses. So you pop up your phone and you're looking at the app and you start reading it. And you're saying, always be full of joy. Don't worry about anything. Tell God what you need. Thank him for all he's done. And then you'll experience God's peace. And you're laying there. You're laying there. And you're like, that didn't work very well, Jesus. Your magic words did nothing for me. And so you're like, maybe I didn't say it well enough. So you're like, well, okay, I'm going to turn into a Pentecostal preacher. And I'll be like, in my mind, always be full of joy. That don't worry about anything at all. But tell God, who? God, what you need. And thank him. Give him thanks. Come on, Rick. You need to give him thanks right now. And give him thanks for all that he's done. And then you will experience peace. You get all Pentecostal preacher in your mind and then you're laying there and you're like, that didn't work either. So then you're like, okay, I need to be somber. No, no, no. But you start like driving yourself crazy because you're like, I'm saying the right words. Why isn't this working? Like, why isn't this breaking it off? Like, why am I still struggling right now? Because that's not what the Bible's telling us to do. It's not saying just keep quoting these verses over and over again. And then finally, magically, it'll disappear. Verse 9 says something really important. It says, keep putting it into practice. Keep putting it into practice. These are not magic words. They're ways that we should live our lives. 
It's not about saying the right things. It's about having healthy practices in the way that we live. So where do we start? Well, Paul starts here with choosing joy. One theologian said that the Greek word for joy implies something that is only found in God. Its opposite is not sadness, but fear. That's interesting. For the Greek word for joy, the opposite of it is not sadness, but fear. Where there's joy, fear is gone. They can't both be in the same spot. It's different than how we often think about it. You know, Brene Brown, anybody a fan? Anybody like Brene Brown? Lots of people do, I know. She's a, I don't know what her actual title is. She's like cultural emotional guru. That's what I would give her if, if, that was, if I was creating her title. But she's researched joy and happiness extensively, and she said that joy is an intense feeling of deep spiritual connection, pleasure, and appreciation, which kind of matches what the Bible says that joy is. It's only found in God. An intense feeling of deep spiritual connection, whereas happiness is a feeling of pleasure often related to the immediate environment or current circumstances. So joy is found through connection to God and others, and it's more internal, and happiness is more circumstantial. It's an external thing. It's like, you know, eating, eating some candy, right? It feels good. You're happy about it. 25 minutes later, your stomach's empty, and you're not feeling quite as good anymore versus eating like an actual not like a healthy meal because i'm not in for that i don't want the kale uh but you know something that's good for your body that's like middle of the road right it's joy right we're not talking about like perseverance or suffering here we're talking about joy so you know i want a good meal and you're eating that and it sticks with you and it gives you the energy that you need and it has actual staying power in your life that's the difference now happiness is good get it while you can not saying there's anything wrong with eating that candy bar. I mean, maybe there is, but that's your doctor, not me. So like happiness is good, but joy actually sticks with us. Now, what's interesting is that she researched people who regularly experience joy and people who struggle to experience joy. And she says, if you cannot tolerate joy, if you're not experiencing joy, what you start to do is you start dress rehearsing tragedy. Anybody ever been there? Any, uh, any dress rehearsals for tragedy going through our minds sometimes? Uh, I probably don't need to, to tell you what this means, but I will anyway. Uh, it's basically believing that something bad's going to happen when there's no sign that the bad thing is actually going to happen. Uh, it, it's doing Shakespeare in your brain. Uh, it's kind of like textbook anxiety, right? That's what it is. For people who experience joy, though, what she found is that when something good happened to them, they felt grateful. So if you're not experiencing joy, you're probably practicing disaster. If you are experiencing joy, you're probably practicing gratitude. Which one of the two paths do we want to go down? That's like the easiest question that you've ever been given, right? 
there is a difference with our experience of joy. And what's interesting is that gratitude grows joy and it shrinks anxiety. Researchers have found that there is always a connection between joy and gratitude. They call it an intriguing upward spiral, which I like that term. Uh, And what it basically means is the more grateful you are, the more joy you're going to experience. Because grateful people expect to experience joy. And joyful people predict more opportunities to be grateful. Grateful people expect to experience joy, and joyful people predict more opportunities to be grateful. Paul had it. Always be full of joy in the Lord. Tell God what you need and thank him for what he has done. Choose joy, which is found in the presence of God, and give thanks for what God has done. And anxiety is going to have very little space in your mind. Fight with these things. You know, there was one night in the last week or so that I went to bed and I laid down and immediately my brain just turned on for the first time in hours. (laughs) Uh, Right? Yeah, yeah. Sarah's not here, so she can't make the joke. So, you know. Uh, (laughs) um, But my brain just turned on and it just was not turn off. And uh, so I'm laying there and starting to get frustrated because I'm not sleeping and all these things are going through. And I had just studied some of this, had just like researched some of this. And I was like, okay, I'm going to try it out. And so I laid there and I started doing it in my head. And I said, okay, I'm just going to start thinking of things that I'm grateful for. And so I kind of went like area by area of my life family, work, friends, God, things that God has done, and started just like making this mental list of things that I was grateful for. And it actually did work. 15 minutes later, I was asleep. My brain was calmed down. I was able to move on. It's not magic words. It's fighting. I just knew how I needed to fight in that moment. When we're fighting smart, we can start to see some victories. I was given the opportunity and it changed things. Joy-filled, grateful people, though, are not avoiders. They're not people that put their head in the sand and just say, okay, I'm not going to think about anything. Philippians tells us that we need to give to God everything that we have, that we need to pray about everything because acknowledging reality is good. That is healthy for us. But in order to fight, in order to fight well, we're not giving to God on a string that we could pull back anytime that we want to. We're not giving to God and then 10 minutes later being like, actually, I deal with this better than you do. We're giving it to God and we're laying it there and we're saying that we are expecting that he is powerful enough to take care of it. And that we are confident that he is good enough to want to take care of it. When we give our stuff to God, we need to be expecting that he's powerful enough to take care of it. And confident that he is good enough to take care of it. That's how you actually give it up to God. It's not just like, okay, please take it, go. And then run away. No, I'm standing here giving it to you because I know who you are, I know what you'll do, and I know how much you love me. And that's what I'm basing this discussion on. That's where we need to be centered. 
Fight with joy. Fight with gratitude. Anxiety highlights what we fear. Gratitude names what we've been given. Anxiety is a tool of the enemy to distract us from what Jesus is doing. Joy is found through being with Jesus. Fight with joy. Fight with gratitude. Keep putting them into practice. And then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything that you can understand. His peace will guard your heart and mind as you live connected to Jesus. Then the God of peace will be with you. Peace is an inner sense of contentment supplied by God. And the beautiful thing is that peace is actually one of the things that Jesus promised to us. When he was getting ready to leave, he talked to his followers and he told them that he was going to send the Holy Spirit after he left. But there was another thing that he actually said that he was going to give to them. He said he was going to give them peace. In John 14, I'm leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. And the peace that I give is a gift the world cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid. I'm leaving you with peace. Anxiety is designed to distract us from the presence of God, from the peace of Jesus. But peace is promised by Jesus. So friends, if you're a follower of Jesus, you can happily write a check based on the inheritance that you've been given. Actually embrace the peace that he promised. Hold him to it. It's already yours. He's already promised that you will have it. And it's not just something that God gives, but if you think back to what we read in Philippians, he says, the God of peace. It's who God is. He is peace. God is without anxiety. So if you're thinking about like, how do I practice peace? How about this? Sit in the presence of God. He's without anxiety. I know it's hard. I don't like sitting in quiet spaces for a long time either. But what if you took five minutes a day and you sat down and you said, okay, Jesus, I need you to give me your peace. Just come and sit here with me. The more you're filling up with peace, the less space you're going to have for anxiety. They can't be in the same space. Allow yourself to be filled up with who God is. The more time that we spend in his presence, the more we're going to encounter his peace. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. What are your thoughts usually filled with? Throw up that, uh, the, the Peanuts cartoon, Joshua. This is uh, pretty much perfect. You look kind of depressed, Charlie Brown. I worry about school a lot. I also worry about my worrying so much about school. My anxieties have anxieties. <laughs> Charlie Brown is the patron saint of depression and anxiety. Uh, he fits our, <laughs> our unsaid feelings so often, right? Uh, my anxieties have anxieties. Anybody feel like they can connect with that a little bit? You know, it's the perfect definition, though, and description of what bad thinking looks like and what happens if you're allowing your thoughts to control you. So looking at Philippians again, 
The person who wrote the letter to the church in Philippians is a guy named Paul. And when Paul wrote this letter, he was in jail. This entire letter is written from prison. So when he says, put into practice all that you learned from me, everything you heard from me and saw me doing, he's talking as a guy who's sitting in a jail cell. Like, they didn't get fed in Roman jail cells. You had to bring them food. Like, there was no cable TV, no Netflix to watch. Like, he had nothing when he's writing this. The only reason he had paper to write it on is because somebody brought it to him. This is the guy who's writing this. The guy who is in prison for doing good, for telling people about Jesus, says to always be filled with joy. The guy whose life is completely out of his control, it is dictated by somebody else, is telling us not to worry but instead to pray, to give it all to God, trusting that God will actually take care of it. And then be grateful for the good things that happen. The guy who's been beaten multiple times, who's jailed wrongly, says that peace will guard our hearts and our minds. Paul has some massive street cred. Massive street cred here. He's not like hypothesizing. This is a guy that is in it deep. If anybody could have said, my life is so terrible, I'm just going to give up, I can't deal, and just wallowed in self-pity, it was Paul. But that's not what he said. So when Paul tells us that we need to focus our thoughts, it actually means something. He's not trying to minimize your reality. He's saying that you need to refocus on what actually matters. That you need to reorient your thoughts in your mind to the truth that is there. He's saying, think about things that are truth. Think about things that are righteous and pure and lovely. Things that are excellent and honorable. Think about things that are worthy of praise. Because praising God changes our perspective. It changes everything. Again, research, last research bit for the day. I love it, though, that like research has proven the things that the Bible tells us to do. Like it, It's nice when that matches up. So research has shown that praising God diminishes the fight-or-flight mechanism that you have in your brain. It shows that praising God has been proven to decrease your heart rate, your blood pressure, your blood glucose levels, and inflammation. It shows that when we praise God, it even changes our brain volume and metabolism. And due to the location of those changes, it gives you more and more of an ability to be compassionate to those around you. So the more you praise God, the better your relationships are going to be with those people around you. Interesting how that works, right? It's like your body was created to do these things by a creator who knew what he was doing. When I praise God, I literally become healthier. When I choose joy, I'm actively rejecting fear. When I practice gratitude, I'm creating less space for anxiety to occupy. When I sit in the presence of God daily, I'm allowing his peace to fill me and anxiety can't sit in the same spot that the peace of God is at. Friends, there is an enemy 
He wants to distract you, but he doesn't have to win. You can fight. Worship team, come on up. Proverbs 3 says this. You can go to bed without fear. You will lie down and sleep soundly. You need not to be afraid of sudden disaster or the destruction that comes upon the wicked. For the Lord is your security. He will keep your foot from being caught in a trap. Don't be afraid. The Lord is your security. You're not fighting alone. That's a promise. So this is what I want to do. We're going to worship. We're going to create space for our brain mass to grow uh, and uh, to focus our thoughts on Jesus, on what is true and good and right. But as we enter in this space, I, I thought that it would just be good for us just right now to take a moment and to ask the God of peace to come and to fill us. So we're just going to be silent for a little bit, just for a minute or two, and allow him to come and to fill us and to push out all the other things. So let's pray. Jesus, I thank you that you are peace and that you bring it and that you fill us with it. And so I just ask right now for your peace to come, for your presence to come and to fill us, to push all of the rest away and to leave us filled with you. So come, Lord Jesus, in this space. Mm -hmm.